We, we're, we're going through a, a series called Good God, um, and we're, we're just kind of spending some time soaking up the, the goodness of God. We're trying to fix our eyes on the goodness of God, even though we know there's, there's, there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of pain, there's um, a lot of depravity of man um, showing up all over. But, but as, as followers of God, it's really important for us to not just kind of look at the shadow all the time, but, but sometimes to turn from the shadow and look at the sunshine. And so that's a bit of what this series is, is we're trying to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Um, so if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Exodus 34, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, but the goodness of God is, is, a, is something that last week, if you didn't hear the message, I really encourage you to listen to it for a number of reasons. <laughs> um, but also on the concept that we're, we're not um, talking about the goodness of God and, and, and pretending that there isn't grief and pain in life, um, no, no doubt about it. it actually, we're, we're really trying to kind of walk those two out together. And Rob, Rob's story is a perfect example because you know life is full of grief and goodness. I mean, there, that's, that's kind of the, the human condition, right? There's grief and there's goodness, but the good news about the God of the Bible, the good news about what Jesus expressed about God is that, is that the goodness of God is, wins out. Like if you hang on long enough, if you stay close to Jesus long enough, you'll see that the goodness of God actually wins out. And uh, that's the good news. The good news is, of Jesus is not, you will never experience grief. That would, that would be the lie, that that's a lie. That's not, the, that's not the gospel. That's somebody trying to sell you something. You shouldn't buy it. Um, but, the, but the goodness of God expressed in the gospel is that the, the goodness of God will win out. And, and what I love what Rob said there is in the process of going through the grief even, you'll, you'll feel like you've never, you never knew you could be loved like that. And, uh, and that's true not only of, of Rob's situation, of our situation, but that's also true um, of, of the people that you know, we're all thinking about in Ukraine um, these days. And just, just as a heads up, I got some reports back from some of our missionaries. So we have over 50 missionaries around the world that we support as, as living streams that we all, through the tithes and offerings, all that, we set aside money and it goes straight to them. Um, and, and we also have a, a, a set aside a fund that's basically like emergency fund um, for missions. And, and obviously there's an emergency going on. So. We contacted some people that we know that are close to the Ukraine, uh, um, one in, in the Czech Republic and one in, um, in, in Romania. And, and we contacted them and we said, hey, we got this emergency fund, it's at your disposal as you see fit. And uh, here's a couple reports back. So this is from the dad of, of, the, of the guy, Billy, who's, who's a missionary in Romania. He said, thanks so much for the generosity of Living Streams. He said, Billy and three pastors from Romania have, have been in this town, it has a name, but I'm not gonna even try to say it. Um, but it's in the Ukraine. And for the last three days ministering at a small church, they're sleeping at the church. The Russians have not gone west yet, so this town is not under siege. They delivered provisions on Thursday and are helping set up a refugee center. They've, they have been having prayer meetings for hours at a time, and there is much weeping and angst, yet Billy says the Lord is bringing comfort. And yesterday they bought beds, a washing machine, and blankets. So they're in the midst of the angst. They're not denying the angst and the challenge, but they're seeing the comfort of the Lord also show up. And then this is um, from our missionaries in, in the Czech Republic. It says, today 3,000 refugee, refugees came into Czech by train. Many had not had food or water in days. Two women gave birth on the train. 
and another person died on the way. Robin, the wife of this guy, was at a relief center preparing items for the refugees. As soon as the refugees arrived to the Prague main station, they, called, um, over, they were called over to the center frantically to bring baby food, diapers, water, food, bread, cookies, granola bars. Robin and others quickly loaded the cars and zoomed over to the station. They were met there by the Prague Fire Department who waved them to a side door and the guys helped unload the cars. Those trains that were carrying the 3,000 people are supposed to only carry 900 at a time. And then they have this like special relief center and, and, uh, and, and this is just, he wanted to share this little brief testimony about the relief center. 10 minutes before they got the call to come quickly with the baby food, etc., there was a couple that had come in to drop off cases and cases of baby food. And little did they know that, that God's timing was perfect. That is, so these people brought all this stuff for babies and then 10 minutes later they got the call that they needed baby stuff right away. Um, and so he just said that, he really recognized how God hears the cries of the children and the mothers and reminding of the tender care of our father and love he has for children. Um, so there you have, in the midst of that grief, you have the goodness of God there and, and the promise of God that his goodness will ultimately win out even in the face of, of horror and, uh, and evil. And that's also true in the story of this guy Moses that we've been tracking with that we talked with uh, about last week. You know, Moses was born into a really tough situation in Egypt where all of the firstborn males were being killed. And, uh, and yet somehow his mom had the courage to defy those orders and to put her son in this basket and put him in the river um, and send him, you know, maybe, maybe just because she couldn't watch him be killed, maybe because she had some hope that God could intervene. But there again, the goodness of God shows up in, in his life and and uh, we follow this whole story of Moses, the deliverer. We, we know it from the prince of Egypt and other things. Um, but, but we picked up last week where Moses had, had led the people out of Egypt. You know, God had, had performed mighty wonders, amazing acts, defeating the gods of Egypt. He's set the people free through the, uh, by, by killing the Egyptian army as the people walked through the Red Sea. Um, he's shown how, how good of a provider he is and how he's Lord of creation um, by bringing water out of rocks and bringing, you know, just food shows up on the ground when they wake up in the morning and, and all these different things. And he's, he's taking them to this promised land, this place where things are supposed to be really good for them, um, better for them. And they're actually camped out around this mountain called Mount Sinai at this point in Exodus 33, which we did last week. And Moses is up in the, in the mountain. The whole mountain's on fire. Um, and Moses is up there in the presence of God and he's having a conversation with God. He's been up there for 40 days and, uh, and, and he has this real interesting conversation with God where he says, God, I don't care as much about the promised land and the better life that you are leading us to. I don't, I don't care about that if you don't go with us. Like at this point, I, I want you more than what you can do for me. I want you more than what you can give me. And it was this interesting moment of, of relationship where, where Moses was saying, God, it's you are the prize. You are the promise. Your presence is, is life, is freedom. And, and God was like, I want to go with you. Like, I, Moses, you got me. I'm, I'm not going anywhere else. And he's like, well, come with us as the people. If you're going to send us on, you got to come with us. He's like, I'm going to go with you. I'm going. So it's this really interesting kind of intimate moment of, of covenant being established. Basically, like Moses is saying, God, will you marry me in some ways? Like, I want to be with you forever. And God is saying, 
Moses, I want to marry you. I've already, I'm already marrying you. Like, that's what's happening. You got to understand this. And so it's like this covenant being formed. And in addition to that, you know, God is actually writing on tablets of stone this covenant. So there really is this like, almost like a marriage ceremony going on up here. And God, and Moses even says to God something very, very wild. He says, God, can I see you? Like, I, it's not enough to hear about you. It's not enough to see what you can do. God, I want to actually see you. Can I see your kabod? Can I see your glory? Kabod is the Hebrew word for that. Can I see your substance? And God's like, all right, let's do this, man. And he said, I'm going to show you what I'm made of. I'm going to show you my substance, my weight, my glory. I'm going to show you. And, he, and he, the word that he uses, I'm going to show you my goodness. Because the glory of God, the substance of God is goodness. And that's real good news for Moses because he's seen what God can do. God is powerful and he can destroy. But that's not, that's, not, that's not the nature, that's not the core of who he is. The core of who he is is goodness. And then right after he says, I'll show you my goodness, he says, I will show mercy on who I will show mercy and I will show compassion on who I show compassion. It's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. But remember when, when God first go told Moses who he was. God, Moses said, hey, could you tell me your name? Because if you're sending me to these people and they're like, well, who sent you? I want to be able to say what God sent me. And he says, I am that I am. And so this is like a little more further. I will show compassion on who I'll show compassion. I'll be merciful to who I'll be mercy, merciful. So mercy and compassion are a big part of who he is. That's Exodus 33. And then we move on to today. Exodus 34 is what happens where God says, okay, I'm going to actually show you my goodness. I'm going to pass before you, and I'm going to let you see my back, because if you see my face, it's not good. You can't handle that. It's too awesome. And so that's what happens. And so Moses, we pick up in Exodus 34. What's, what, what's next? The Lord said to Moses, chisel, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And Moses, hearing this, bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. They're married. Na, 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 na. You're like, I mean, this is like, this is covenant. This is, this is the whole thing. This is the Mosaic covenant. This is, this is God and his people becoming one. This is a serious moment in, in the biblical narrative. 
This passage right here is more quoted by the Bible than any other passage of the Bible. This is, this is huge. This is the name of God. This is the, the, the closest to a self-disclosure statement God has ever given besides the incarnate Christ. This was a big, this was a big, big moment. And so what happens here is basically God throughout the scriptures has always been referred to as Elohim, which is just kind of a generic title for God. Elohim is also used to describe the gods of, of, of Egypt. These are the Elohim gods, and this is the Elohim God. And the only real designation we've ever gotten about this Elohim at this point is, is he's the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? It's not like that cool of a title. You know, the marketing, any marketers in here? Like, eh. It's not that good. When you have like the Egyptians, God, this is like the Elohim of the sun, you know, the Elohim of the Nile. Like these are like a lot more, a lot bigger deals. But this is the Elohim of Abraham. And actually when he introduced himself to Moses in the burning bush, he said, I am, I'm the, I'm the Elohim of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that, that's the name that Moses knows him as. And, and yet Moses says to him, can you tell me a better name, like a, like a, like a more specific name? And, and that's where the, the name Echye, that's what God said. He says, I am that I am, Echye. But then when Moses says to the people the name of God, it's, he says he is. So it's like the, the change to Yahweh. So Echye to, to Yahweh. God saying, I am that I am. And, and Moses saying, he is that he is. So the name of God is established there, the Tetragrammaton. Um, but it's, it's Yahweh. And that word Yahweh, we, we'd only know because in the Hebrew, there's no, there's no consonant, so it's Y-H-W-H. But then we don't even know much about that because the, the, the Jews really decided not to say it anymore. It was too holy. So they didn't want to say it or write it or anything. So actually, when you're reading your translation of the Bible, they just say the Lord, which is Adonai. And it's a title because that name is so holy, that Yahweh. But that's the name of God. There's something so significant about that. And then when God reveals his name, he actually says Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious Elohim. So now it's like, this is my name, but now let me, let me unpack what that name means. And the very first and foremost thing that God says about himself, about his nature, about his name, is he is compassionate and gracious. That's it. Now Moses has seen what God can do. God, Moses has seen that he is all-powerful, right? All-knowing. He's a great provider. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's all those things. Yes, th those, we're not denying those things. But God, when he introduces himself, when he discloses the true essence and core of what he is, what makes him more glorious than any other God, it's his compassion. And it's his grace. And that's followed up with he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's abounding in faithfulness. Forgiveness, he loves it. It's his favorite thing. He loves to forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What? Now, you and I know forgiveness is one of the hardest things a human can do, right? When true wickedness, rebellion, or sin has happened, it's one of the hardest things you can do. It's actually impossible for us in a lot of ways. And yet God's like, that's my favorite thing. That's my jam. That's what I eat for breakfast. 
forgiving people. I love it. Nothing makes me happier than to forgive people. And yet he punishes the guilty thoroughly. And that, that's there because that is a reality. That's an important part of the nature of God. And he punishes exactly as is fitting. Not more, not less. He punishes at the right time in the right way every time, just like I've done with my three daughters their whole lives. Why are you laughing? No, I, I do it horribly. I do too much, too little all the time. Um, but not with the Lord. And ultimately, I think there's no better word to describe all of this than, than, than mercy. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he calls God the Father of all mercies. And when you think about this, both Father and mercy, a merciful Father, that's who this God is. Father in all the right senses of the word. A father whose first inclination towards his children is, 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 is favor and kindness and grace and compassion. And yet is in that mercy and grace and compassion willing to, to, to prune and to correct and to steer through punishment or discipline, but always in the sense of love, abounding in love. I like what that little kid's book says, that, that God's love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love. And that's the truth. That's the revelation of God to Moses that has been carried on for all of us. That God is full of mercy. He is full of mercy. That punishment is a necessary part of a father's heart, but it's not the primary part of the father's heart. And yet, what I need to point out now is going back to these first few verses. What's so amazing about this is not just that this is true and this is reality, that God is this way, but if we go back, you Bible students, you probably already picked this up, but for the rest of us, let's catch up. So in these passages, if you notice, it says, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Okay, so for those of you that know a little bit of the chapters before, you know a little bit of what's going on. And so Moses, in verse 4, chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, went up on Mount Sinai in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. So what's going on with these stone tablets? Like what's, what's happening here? And where'd the first ones go? Why has he got the second ones? How is this all working out? Well, if you go back a few chapters and kind of in this process, what was happening is Moses was up here in the cloud, and he was, he was with, with the Lord, and they were having this beautiful kind of time of, of making covenant together, of professing like, like love and commitment to each other. And, and in that moment, God was saying that, that these people are gonna be my people. I've chosen them, I want them, I wanna make them mine, I wanna belong to them in some unique way that has never been seen before but will it be an example to all people of all nations that they can be this way with me? And while this is happening, while basically the marriage ceremony is happening between God and the people of, of Israel, down on the, on the bottom of the mountain, there's something else happening. And God actually says to Moses, Moses, you need to go down and check on the people. And so Moses goes down and he's got this, these two stone tablets, this covenant written by the actual hand of God. He doesn't do that a lot. He doesn't sign a lot of autographs, but he actually like wrote on this tablet with his finger. I mean, this is like serious business. 
And Moses is coming down the mountain to share with the people that basically, hey, you're married to God. He belongs to you. Like it's, this, is go, this is not just something that happened. This is forever for your children and your children's children. And your children. Like God, we are, this is big. And Moses is coming down and he picks up Joshua along the way. He was kind of halfway up. And they're like, we, sounds like there's a war going on down there or something. And so they kind of pick up their pace. And when they get down there, they realize it wasn't a war. There was some sort of like worship party going on. And as they looked around, they saw that all the people were in like, they were like dancing, they were celebrating, they were having kind of this like festival party worship time. And, and what they were doing is they were, they were worshiping this golden cow, golden calf. And Moses and Joshua were just like, what is going on? And they went and talked to Aaron, you know, and said, Aaron, what's going on here? And he's like, dude, I don't know what happened. The people were all like, we don't know what happened to Moses. It's, it's all this crazy stuff going on. And so I told them to bring me all their gold. And they brought me all their gold stuff. And I threw it in this pot. And boom, this cow came out, this golden cow. And so we just started worshiping it. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said to Moses. Now, what we know is, is the people actually, you know, came to Aaron, who was the high priest, and, and they're like, we don't know what's happening to Moses, and, and there was just something about the human heart where they were saying, we need, we, need a, we need a leader, we need someone to show us the way, we need someone to be um, above us, and, and, and we need to worship that, and so they, they made a golden calf, probably, which was somewhat what they remembered they, were, they did in Egypt, and, and they began to worship and actually proclaim, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This is the God that delivered us. I mean, I, if you could imagine a little bit what it would be like for, for a guy on his wedding night to go into the marriage chamber to be with his wife for the first time and, and she's just finishing up with somebody else. I mean, that, that's basically what was happening in this. And Moses, in his rage, he dropped these tablets, threw them down, and they broke. You know, signifying, obviously, you know, he's angry, but also the breaking of those 10 commandments that God had written, all broken in one moment, breaking the covenant that the people had with God, breaking all of it. I mean, they broke everything. They, they broke it all. And Moses, here's God called to him, hey, Moses, come back up. And so Moses goes back up and he says, Could make, some, make some new stones. So Moses chisels out some new stones and God says, hey, let me, write, let me write that covenant on there. And he writes the same exact covenant just as if nothing's happened. And he says, Moses, this is my covenant. This is, this, is the way, this is the way I feel about you. And then it's in that context, with that backdrop, with that emotion housed in God's heart that he says, Moses, I need you to know who I am that I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I love forgiving people. And I know how to punish people to where it actually ends up in the, they end up in the right place. But that's only after they know how much I love them.
It's in that context that this name of God is expressed for all people. And that's mercy. That's mercy. That's what God was trying to express through, remember, when he asked Hosea, the prophet, to go marry the prostitute, Gomer? Was that like, that's like two strikes against you. One, she's a prostitute. The other, her name's Gomer. It's like, I'm not sure which one's worse. No, one's worse than the other, for sure. And, and he tells Hosea, go marry her. And he's like, I don't want to marry her. Her name's Gomer. I mean, she's a prostitute. And uh, God's like, do it. And so he goes and, and he, he gets her out of the, you know, the brothel and he takes her and he marries her and commits his life to her and wakes up the next morning and she's gone. And God's like, go get her. He's like, I don't want to get her. He's like, go get her. And so he goes and gets her and brings her back and then they have kids and a short time goes by and it seems like everything's okay and then he wakes up one morning and she's gone. And God says, go get her. He said, God, I'm not gonna get her. You go get her. And God's like, no, I want you to get up right now. I want you to go get her and bring her back in and give her everything. And so he does so. And what he was doing with, with Hosea is he was trying to help Hosea understand his heart towards his people. That he is full of mercy and full of grace. He loves to, to not give us the punishment we deserve and he loves to give us the goodness we don't deserve. That's mercy and grace. This is who he is. This is the goodness of God. There's this, um, there's this quote that, it's a little wordy, but I just, I love what it says. Um, and it's from this book called Gentle and Lowly. And it's by, by Dane Ortland, and it's a book that you know, some of us have been reading on our kind of teaching content team. And it's, it's, it's pointing us in the direction of this sermon series that we're going in, and where we're just gonna be looking at different facets of the goodness of God expressed through the scripture, and just kind of sit there and soak it up. Even though there's a lot of other things in our lives and we're not denying the pain and the trouble in our lives, we're actually really trying to just focus in on the goodness of God. And one of the things is his mercy. His mercy, and, and this, this quote by a guy named John Flavel, Flavel, I'm not sure, um, he says this, he says, God has a multitude of all kinds of mercies. As our hearts and the devil are the father of a variety of sins, so God is the father of a variety of mercies. If your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercy to liven it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has mercies to sanctify and cleanse you. As large and various as our wants, so large and various are his mercies. So we may come boldly to find grace and mercy to help us in time of need, a mercy for every need. As you consider the, hearts, the Father's heart for you, remember he is the Father of mercies. He's not cautious in his tenderness towards you. Remember that this God in whose hand are all creatures is your father and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. Now God is not someone who looks away from sin or just excuses sin as if it's no big deal. But the primary thing, you've got to understand this, 
And this might be the thing that takes the most faith. You've got to understand that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, or no matter how long you've been addicted to it, every single time you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, every single time you come into his presence, every single time you even turn your attention towards him, his first and strongest and primary sentiment towards you is mercy. It's compassion. It's grace. It's love. That is, that is the main thing he feels every single time he looks your way. It's amazing. Because you know what you've done, you know what passes through your mind, you know where you've been, you know how long you've continued to wallow in the same stuff. And yet when you come to this God, this Yahweh, it doesn't matter how many times you've wronged him, how many times you've prostituted yourself out, how many times you've broken his heart and betrayed him, you can't get to the depths of his mercy. He loves you, he is for you, and he can't wait to get started in helping you walk in the plans he's made for you. He's a good God, he's a good, good God. And in this book called Lamentations, which is, you don't really wanna read a book with that title, very often, but right in the middle of it, and there is true lamentation. There's true pain in the people of God at this time, but Jeremiah writes, and he says, my soul continually remembers my affliction and my wanderings and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is, great is his faithfulness. And this is never better expressed than in the life of Jesus Christ, who in the fullness of time, God sent his own son, not simply to dispense his mercy, but to embody it. Jesus is the mercy of God made human. He didn't just teach his people to echo God's mercy in their lives, but he himself was and is the mercy of God to us. Fittingly, the most prominent request made of Jesus in the Gospels is, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. Which is precisely what he did in his perfect life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection, extending God's mercy not just to Israel, but to all nations by faith. In Jesus Christ, we have something so amazing. Just like in the face of all of that evil that the people were doing as God was demonstrating his love for them with Moses. There on the cross, Jesus became more acquainted with our sin than ever before. The Bible tells us that, the, that our sin, you and I, every one of our sins was placed upon him on that cross. So he not only was aware of what we had done, but he was actually now experiencing the wrath of God poured out on that sin on our behalf. 
we'll never really understand what took place on that cross. But that's where Jesus became more aware of our sinfulness than any other moment. And what came out of his heart, what came out of his mouth? Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Forgiveness, mercy, love, grace, compassion. As he was agonizing, as his blood was spilling out of his body, as the breath was harder and harder to take in, in that place of sorrow and anguish and wrath, which we will never fully comprehend, even there he just had mercy for each one of us. And that is the goodness of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that when you were here, you, you said that if anyone is carrying a heavy load, they can come to you and learn of you, that you're humble and lowly, and you're gentle, and you're kind, and you're merciful. And when they come to you, they're not going to receive a talking to. They're not going to receive punishment. They're not going to receive advice. They're going to receive rest, comfort. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that your kindness would lead many of us to repentance today. That your mercy would have its perfect work in our hearts and in our minds. And it would teach us and train us to be merciful with all those around us that it would teach us to be quick to forgive to all those around us. And Lord, I pray that some people in this room would really, by faith and by the power of your spirit, they would even be able to forgive themselves and really begin to receive your mercy deep, deep in their souls. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.